cheap grace versus costly grace. Let's talk about it. Welcome to the Proverbial Life Podcast. This is a podcast that encourages Christians to look to Christ, live wisely, and leave a legacy behind for generations to follow. I'm your host, Edwin Ramirez. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Proverbial Life Podcast. Today, we're going to get right into it. Cheap grace versus costly grace. What's the difference? So for those of you who watched yesterday's podcast, you know we talked about telling people the truth about suffering. When we are sharing the gospel or when we are ministering to people, it is incumbent upon us as ambassadors of Christ to speak the truth. We need to say what God said in his word. We can't sugarcoat, minimize, or undermine what the Bible says, particularly with respect to this conversation on the topic of suffering. Why? Well, suffering takes place in life. We live in a fallen, broken world, and the people that we encounter and interact with are going to go through suffering. They're going to lose family members. They're going to be diagnosed with sicknesses. And it is those opportunities that we as Christians have to minister to them, for those who are Christians, to minister to them the hope of God's presence with them. And then for those who don't know Christ, to minister to them the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That said, as mentioned yesterday, Jesus told his disciples that in this life they will have trouble. However, they were to be comforted by the reality that he has overcome the world. And in the closing of that video, I talked about cheap grace. I made the connection between people self-peddling the gospel and this idea of cheap grace. When people undermine the gospel, they soft-pedal it or they sugarcoat it, they are guilty of offering people cheap grace. And I want to implore us as believers of Christ not to be ashamed of what the Bible says and not to feel the pressures of minimizing, sugarcoating, or undermining what God's Word says as well. In other words, we don't want to be guilty of offering people a cheap grace. So today I want to talk about that topic. What is cheap grace? And what I want to do is compare it to another phrase that actually goes along with it is this idea of costly grace. So I want to compare cheap grace with costly grace. So what is cheap grace and what is its opposite? Well, on the outset, we need to say that this phrase was coined by German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and this was coined in his book, The Cost of Discipleship. This is what the book looks like. So if you're interested in purchasing the book or you're interested in knowing more about his thoughts concerning cheap grace and costly grace. All right. So what is cheap grace? Well, before we let Bonhoeffer define his own term, I'd like to look at another definition. This definition is found in the Westminster Theological Dictionary of Terms. And in this book, they define it as followed. It is a term popularized by Dietrich Bonhoeffer to indicate the desire to accept God's gift without the corresponding response of repentance and obedience. In other words, cheap grace is receiving Christ without repentance. And we'll get into that more in a moment. So as we are sharing the gospel, As you are sharing the gospel, as we are interacting with people, 
Are we emphasizing the importance of repentance and obedience? Or are we giving grace out to people cheaply? Let me read some quotes to you from Bonhoeffer so that you get a better grasp of what he means by cheap grace. He says this, Cheap grace is preaching forgiveness without requiring repentance, baptism without church discipline, communion without confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus, living and incarnate. Now that quote was from a larger quote, which we'll read here in a moment. But did you hear that? Preaching forgiveness without requiring repentance, baptism without church discipline, communion without confession? That's not good. In other words, cheap grace is not the grace of God. What do I mean by that? Well, grace, if we could broadly define it, is unmerited favor offered by God to undeserving sinners. Grace is freely offered and distributed by God to undeserving sinners, but it is not cheap. It is costly. More on that in a moment. First, let me ask you a question. What happens to someone who truly comes to faith in Christ? What happens to their life? Is there a difference between who they are now and who they were in the past? Well, my friends, there should be. I remember this illustration that Paul Washer used one time in his sermon. Let me take it a little further. Let's imagine that I show up late and I run up here on the platform. And, and the, every, all the leaders are angry with me. I said, Brother Paul, don't you appreciate the fact you're giving the opportunity to speak here and you come late? And I said, Brothers, you have to forgive me. Well, why? Well, I was out here on the highway and I was driving and I had a flat tire and, and I got out to change the tire. And when I was changing the tire, the lug nut fell off and I wasn't paying attention that I was on the highway and I ran out and I grabbed the lug nut. And as soon as I picked it up in the middle of the highway, I stood up and there was a 30 ton logging truck going 120 miles an hour, about 10 yards in front of me. And it ran me over. And that's why I'm late. Now, there would only be two logical. I know. No one studies logic anymore, but there would only be two logical conclusions. One, I'm a liar. Or two, I'm a madman. You would say, Brother Paul, it's absolutely absurd. It is impossible, Brother Paul, to have an encounter with something as large as a logging truck and not be changed. And then my question would be to you, what is larger, a logging truck or God? How is it that so many people today profess to have had an encounter with Jesus Christ and yet they are not permanently changed? If you have truly been changed by God, if you're truly in Christ, if your sins have truly been taken away and you've truly received the unmerited favor of God found in Jesus Christ, then your life would be changed. If it is not changed, if you are not different than who you used to be, then you probably have not received the grace of God. So what happens to a person who comes to faith in Christ? They come to the end of themselves. They recognize that they are not their own. They were bought with a price. In other words, they are a new creation in Christ. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. When someone comes to faith in Christ, their old self, their old man is buried and their new man is raised to life in Christ. They've died and they've been resurrected. Now, 
This does not mean that a person will live a sinless life once they come to faith in Christ. As Orthodox Christians, we deny the false teaching of Christian perfectionism. We do not hold to the idea that man on this side of eternity can live a sinless life. However, we do believe that by way of sanctification, that every believer, though not sinless, is to become more like Christ and in turn sin less. So now this person who has been changed by God will live a life that is in pursuit of the Lord, though not perfectly. However, their lives will be conformed into the image of Christ. There will be evidence that they are followers of Christ. There will be internal evidence and there will be external evidence. And this, my friends, means that there is no such thing as a carnal Christian. And what do I mean by that? Well, carnal Christian is a phrase that was adopted, particularly when it came to the Lordship Salvation controversy, that you can be a Christian and receive Jesus as Savior, but not necessarily Lord. You're a carnal Christian. You're still sleeping with your girlfriend. You're still a liar and a thief. You know, you're still a swindler. You're still all these things, but you've been saved because you've trusted in Jesus. You asked him in your heart. You prayed this in his prayer. Whatever the case is, you are a Christian. However, that is nowhere found in the word of God. In fact, in the book of Corinthians, when the word carnal is used in reference to the saints at Corinth, Paul is not saying that they are carnal in and of themselves, in their very nature. Paul is really saying they're acting carnal. And I'll give you a verse to prove this. Do Christians act carnal or fleshly? Absolutely. And if and when we see that take place, that individual, if they are indeed in Christ, is acting out of character. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 8, verses 12 through 17. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you live by the Spirit, you will put to death the deeds of the body. You will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Did you catch that? We are of the Spirit. Therefore, we live according to the Spirit. If we are in Christ, if we have been changed by the grace of God, that doesn't mean we won't sin. However, we will put to death the deeds of the flesh. We will grow in sanctification. Why? Because the Spirit of God lives within us. And the role, at least one of the roles, of the Spirit of God is to point us to Christ, is to conform us into the image of Christ via progressive sanctification. So again, Bonhoeffer on Cheap Grace says this, Cheap Grace means sold on the market like Cheap Jack's wares, the sacraments, the forgiveness of sin, and the consolations of religion are thrown away at cut prices. Grace is represented as the church's inexhaustible treasury, from which she showers blessings with generous hands, without asking questions or fixing limits. Grace without price? Grace without cost? 
The essence of grace, we suppose, is that the account has been paid in advance, and because it has been paid, everything can be had for nothing. Since the cost was infinite, the possibilities of using and spending it are infinite. What would grace be if it were not cheap? Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance, baptism without church discipline, communion without confession, absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. So what is the alternative to cheap grace? Well, again, Bonhoeffer has something to say about this. So what is the opposite of cheap grace? Listen to what Bonhoeffer says concerning costly grace. Costly grace is the treasure hidden in the field. For the sake of it, a man will go and sell all that he has. It is the pearl of great price to buy which the merchant will sell all his goods. It is the kingly rule of Christ for whose sake a man will pluck out the eye which causes him to stumble. It is the call of Jesus Christ at which the disciple leaves his nets and follows him. Costly grace is the gospel which must be sought again and again, the gift which must be asked for, the door at which a man must knock. Such grace is costly because it calls us to follow, and it is grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. It is costly because it costs a man his life, and it is grace because it gives a man the only true life. It is costly because it condemns sin, and grace because it justifies the sinner. Above all, it is costly because it costs God the life of his son. Ye were bought at a price, and what has cost God much cannot be cheap for us. Above all, it is grace because God did not reckon his son too dear a price to pay for our life, but delivered him up for us. Costly grace is the incarnation of God. Well, there you have it, my friends. Bonhoeffer was explicitly clear. There is a distinct difference between cheap grace and costly grace. But before we close, I want to read one more quote. And this is lengthy, but this was beautifully written and worth noting. John Stott says this, Jesus never concealed the fact that his religion included a demand as well as an offer. Indeed, the demand was total and the offer was free. If he offered men his salvation, he also demanded their submission. He gave no encouragement whatsoever to thoughtless applications for discipleship. He brought no pressure to bear on any inquirer. He sent irresponsible enthusiasts away empty. Luke tells us of three men who either volunteered or were invited to follow Jesus, but no one passed the Lord's test. The rich young ruler, too, moral, earnest, and attractive, who wanted eternal life on his own terms, went away sorrowful, with his riches intact, but with neither life nor Christ as his possession. The Christian landscape is stewed with the wreckage of derelict, half-built towers, the ruins of those who began to build and were unable to finish. For thousands of people still ignore Christ's warnings and undertake to follow him without first pausing to reflect on the cost of doing so. The result is the great scandal of Christendom today, so-called nominal Christianity. In countries to which Christian civilization has spread, large numbers of people have covered themselves with a decent but thin veneer of Christianity. They have allowed themselves to become somewhat involved, 
enough to be respectable, but not enough to be uncomfortable. Their religion is a great soft cushion. It protects them from the hard unpleasantness of life while changing its place and shape to suit their conveniences. No wonder the cynics speak of hypocrites in the church and dismiss religion as escapism. The message of Jesus was very different. He never lowered his standard or modified his conditions to make his call more readily acceptable. He asked his first disciples, and he asked every disciple since, to give him their thoughtful and total commitment. Nothing less than this will do. Wow, that was powerful. So, in closing, when we share the gospel with people, we need to tell them the truth. When these individuals have a false hope because they've been let down by false promises, promises that the prosperity gospel individuals have given them, promises from false teachers in other religions or in other cults, when they have been given these promises, we need to remind them of the truth of God's word. Yes, God is good. Yes, God is sovereign. No, we cannot escape death. No, we cannot escape the reality that in this life we will go through trouble and there is suffering that takes place. However, God will be with his people in the midst of it. And so, if they've been offered cheap grace, may we remind them afresh of this costly grace that has been given to sinners by virtue of Jesus Christ and his perfect life lived on behalf of sinners. I pray that today would be the day of salvation for you as you look to him alone by faith. All right, everyone, thank you for listening to today's episode of The Proverbial Life. I hope that this was an encouragement to you. I hope that you were blessed by those quotes and this topic in general. This is The Proverbial Life, a podcast where we encourage Christians to look to Christ, live wisely, and leave a legacy behind for generations to follow. Grace and peace. What you need to know is that salvation is by faith and faith alone in Jesus Christ. And faith alone in Jesus Christ is preceded and followed by repentance. A turning away from sin, a hatred for the things that God hates and a love for the things that God loves. A growing in holiness and a desire not to be like Britney Spears, not to be like the world, and not to be like the great majority of American Christians, but to be like Jesus Christ. I don't know why you're clapping. I'm talking about you. I didn't come here to get amens. I didn't come here to be applauded. I'm talking about you.